0: like what you're hearing, become a BrewBound insider to gain access to even more industry news and insights. Insiders have exclusive access to every story on brewbound.com, including comprehensive CBC coverage, interviews with industry experts, as well as discounts on job board listings and BrewBound live tickets. Visit
1: win.brewbound.com to learn more. Stone Cold, Stone Cold, Stone Cold, Stone Cold Steve Austin is on the BrewBound podcast next. Hello, and welcome to the BrewBound podcast. My name is Justin Kendall, and I'm the editor of BrewBound, and I do a terrible Jim Ross imitation And I apologize to these next two people, the soon-to-be vacationing Jess Infante. Hello, Jess.
2: What's up? Hello. How are you?
1: I am living the dream. You really are. Who said Brewbound did not make dreams come true?
2: I've never once said that.
1: Yeah, see. And also joining us is Zoe Licata. Thanks for being here, Zoe.
2: Hello. Thanks for
3: having me on this Thrilling podcast.
1: This is a thrilling podcast. What are, what are you talking about?
3: We're starting it out real hot.
1: You got to come in hot for Stone Cold Steve Austin. So Stone Cold Steve Austin will be here on the BrewBound podcast talking about Broken Skull Lager, along with Rob Croxel and Tom Kelly from El Segundo. So we got a big guest, literally a big guest as in a large human being.
2: I think I'm just as happy as you are for you that we could make this happen.
1: I tried not to be like the Chris Farley fanboy during that, but I'm sure it comes through at some point.
2: No, you like you held it together. You were great. Thank you. Like I told you when we finished recording, you held it together way better than I did the first time I met Bruce Springsteen. And the only time I met Bruce Springsteen.
1: And Zoe missed this because she had to leave early, but there was nothing better than when we stopped Recording and Stone Cold was like, hold on a second. What beers do you both like to drink? And you're welcome, (laughs) Allegash.
2: Yeah, Justin definitely converted Mr. Cold to uh, an Allegash white, if not drinker, Allegash white hopeful, but he should be able to find it in California.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. So that's what's coming up on this episode. Also, coming up, we're going to Minneapolis and we're heading to CBC will be there for Brew Talks on Monday, May 2nd, 1 to 4 p.m. Central Time. And I'm going to step back and let somebody else do the hard sell.
2: I'm really excited. This is shaping up to be an awesome Brew Talks. We've got three really different conversations, but I've kind of noticed the theme of all of them is basically the future of craft beer, right? So our first conversation is with leaders from Switchyard Brewing and Modest Brewing to talk about how they've incorporated accepting cryptocurrency in their tap rooms, how they've worked NFTs into some of their marketing. So that is going to be really interesting. And I'm really glad that the two of you guys are spearheading that talk because I cannot speak intelligently about any of that stuff at all. So that'll be a good one. Then we've got people from a few different places to talk about the structural avenues to getting people from underrepresented groups into the industry. So that conversation features Tim and Dolly Parker of Chula Vista Brewing in California, Jennifer Glanville, the director of partnerships for the Boston Beer Company, Jennifer oversees Brewing the American Dream, which is a program that BBC launched over a decade ago that gives low and no interest loans to entrepreneurs in food and beverage, but also helps them out with mentorship and advice and just guidance overall. So Chula Vista won the Brewing the American Dream experience ship a few years ago because there's a special program just for brewers where uh, every year one craft brewer is selected and they get like an intensive year-long experience basically speaking to anybody they want to speak to within like the Boston Beer organization. They also get to come to the brewery in Boston and do a collaboration. Uh, Lots of cool stuff there, but they've helped a lot of breweries out along the way. Uh, Rock Brewing in Rochester, New York, Woods Brewing in San Francisco. There's a bunch of breweries that have graduated from the program. So we'll talk to those guys about what they do. And then we've got Mike Persick, who is the head of alcoholic beverage buying for Target. And Target has an accelerator program where you know, brands from across CPG can enter the program. And it, it sounds like they've got different levels for brands that are a little bit more established and brands that are just brand new. And they work with them to tell them, you know, coach them and then get them sold in Target stores. So that will be cool. And then, last but certainly not least, we've got Mike Gemma from Haymarket Brewing, Jamal and possibly Damon and Anthony from the Moore's Beer Company, and Sam from. Goose Island. So these guys are all from Chicago. Haymarket held a incubator program from February until mid-March, where they hosted a collection of Black-owned breweries from Chicago and just turned their whole facility over to them. And some of them don't have their own tap rooms. So like the, the guys from Moore's, they were able to make use of the Haymarket taproom to host like a Super Bowl party. They had a few different events throughout the month. Uh, there's a collaboration beer that's come out of it. But basically, it's just all about how to foster these relationships at the grassroots level to allow people who don't really have the easiest time breaking into craft beer, getting into the industry.
1: Yep. And we will basically discuss how others can maybe replicate those programs, because I think it's so needed in this industry.
2: Yeah. Like, you know, if you had a a Haymarket residency happening in every city, like who knows what things would look like. So all of this will be happening on May 2nd from 1 to 4 p.m. Central Time at the Carew Atrium at Target Field.
1: Target Field, where the Minnesota professional baseball team plays.
3: Yes. Yes.
1: They have a name, but, you know. Can't say it. Yeah. Please join us. Tickets are on sale now and you can get them at brewbound.com. Some of the proceeds go to the Minnesota Craft Brewers Guild. So it's going to a good cause. They've got a lot of initiatives that they're doing that they could use help with. And so hopefully we'll be able to help them out. So come on out.
2: I'm pushing for a ice cream Sunday Barthol Stadium helmets.
1: Right. We're going to feed you too. There will be yeah. some good snacks to be had
2: and beers from our presenting sponsor, Dogfish
1: Head. Yes. Lots to check out there and lots of news. And if we're going to be honest, which we try to be. So Jess, who is going on vacation in a week, we're recording this on a Friday so she could join us and talk about all the big news of last week, which is fine because there's a ton of news from this last week. And it's like we couldn't stop working, basically, because Reyes went on to uh, strike a deal for Columbia Distributing's Northern California beer business. It's about 4 million cases, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yep. So a lot of the usual suspects that you would expect in such a deal, like the Constellation portfolio, but that deal is supposed to close in June. And I mean, we'll have to get our uh, Reyes coloring map out for the state of California and shade in the Northern part of California now.
2: Yeah, so this affects Sonoma and Marin counties. So just above the Golden Gate Bridge and parts of wine country. Right.
1: Not much else to say about this because we've been through this story before and Reyes has been super acquisitive. And that leads us to another story about Reyes. We found out this week that Seismic Brewing in Sonoma County has filed a federal lawsuit, an antitrust lawsuit against Reyes and DBI Beverage and Reyes subsidiary, Harbor Distributing, saying basically that they conspired to create a monopoly of beer distribution in California. And this is a case that was largely, the the majority of the claims were rejected at the state level, but Seismic is now filing suit in federal court. We will see where this goes. We reached out to Seismic. They declined to comment. However, Reyes has offered us a statement, and I'll let you take it away, Jess. So
2: Reyes told us through a spokesperson, quote, after Seismic's claims were rejected and dismissed with prejudice by a California state court, Seismic has repackaged the same inaccurate allegations and filed a complaint in federal court. While disappointing to see these tactics, we will again vigorously defend ourselves against these baseless allegations, as has always been the case Any business decisions or actions taken on behalf of our business are in full compliance with federal and state laws with oversight provided by the appropriate regulatory authorities. So we'll see what
1: happens. Yeah. And Reyes will file its response in the next 30 to 60 days. And we'll see where this goes. They sort of updated their filing as well to include the Treasury report that just came out on competition. So some updated things. I think they may even have gotten the uh, Columbia Distributing acquisition in there, which is a quick turnaround. Uh, This was filed the day after that deal was announced. So what timing? According to the
2: data shared in this lawsuit, since mid-2018, Vegas has added 76 million cases to its market share in California, which is a whole heck of a lot of beer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Other news of last week, uh, Jess, you hopped on this story and you broke it. 30 workers were laid off from New Belgium and Bell's following the merger, and they were laid off last week. So take us through what happened there.
2: Yeah, and never fun to report on people losing their jobs. But unfortunately, this, this does sometimes happen after, you know, two companies join forces like that. So as we know, last fall, New Belgium's parent company, Lion Little World Beverages, uh, acquired Bell's. And they both, you know, they're large craft beer companies. They probably, you know, the most of these 30 layoffs happened within the sales force. So you just got to imagine there's a lot of markets that just had duplicative representatives, either, you know, by territory or by relationship. So they did their best. You know, we spoke to the team there and they said, you know, like, we we tried really hard to keep as many people as possible, but they do have over 1300 team members. It's a lot of people. So you know, the, the layoffs only account for less than 3% of their total workforce, but that's what happened. There's about 15 to 20 jobs still open. So uh, in sales, so these, everybody that's been affected is welcome to apply for a job in another territory. They've also been given a severance package. Just one of those unfortunate things that can happen when two companies merge like this.
1: Yeah. And we've heard that there are more layoffs out there. And if you've heard that there are more layoffs out there, you can feel free to reach out to us. You can reach out to me personally, jkindle at bevnet.com. That's J-K-E-N-D-A-L-L at B-E-V-N-E-T.com. Yeah,
2: definitely email him because when you listen to this, I'll be on a beach in Mexico.
1: Yeah. Nobody (laughs) disturb Jeff while she's on, on the beach. So also not great news coming out of last week, Willie's Superbrew. We heard they laid off the majority of their staff and that they were considering a sale. This came out of a story from Good Beer Hunting. And yeah, uh, Willie's makes Superbrew, which is... Um, how would you define Superbrew? Something between cider and seltzer?
3: They defined it as a hybrid between a hard cider and a hard seltzer. And said recently that their goal for this year was to try to create a new, they called it a new category outside of self-serve as the super brew, make it its own thing. But that appears to not be as easy as it seemed.
1: And they went through a packaging refresh and it's from the sounds of the good beer hunting story that proved to be barely costly, more costly than anyone anticipated. And so that proved to be... Problematic for them. Willie's is a former Brewbound Pitch Slam competition winner. They won, I can't remember what year. Was it 2018? 2018. Yeah. It's a bummer of news. It's always a bummer of news when we see these things. The story goes on that they may be in the process of selling potentially to Downeast Cider, which produces Willie's Super Brew. Right
3: down the street from me.
1: Right down the street from Zoe. Well, Zoe, why don't you hop in here?
3: <laughs> I might have to go take a walk down the street, ask them some questions. yeah,
1: go buy it <laughs> It'll be Zoe's super brew,
3: yeah, <laughs> stay tuned.
1: You can only get Zoe's super brew at a darty <laughs>
3: <laughs> That is the one one requirement. I don't know if it's the best strategic approach, but I'll try.
1: <laughs>
2: We tried to get in touch with the Superbrew team to no avail.
1: And some bon voyages uh, that we must bid adieu to one of our favorite people, Jim McGreevy, the president and CEO of the Beer Institute. He is departing in May. Don't know where he's going, but it's outside the Bev Alk industry. That's what he told me. And uh, I am sad to see Jim go. I, I, he was fantastic at that role. He helped achieve the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act. His work lobbying Congress helped establish the brewing industry as essential, which kept a lot of people working during the pandemic. Yeah, I
2: think we would have been looking at a very different past two years if that designation had not happened. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. I'll
2: miss Jim. Jim's great.
1: Jim needs to get his butt to Minneapolis and drink Michelob (laughs) Golden Lights with us with olives.
2: With olives. That's key.
1: You know, I speak things on this podcast and I hope they come to fruition or I try and like manifest them. So, Jim, I know you're listening. You're coming to Minneapolis. So (laughs) we'll see you there.
2: I have heard that in some parts of Maine, they drink a Narragansett with three olives and call it a Millinocket martini. So. We don't have to go to Minnesota for this culinary delicacy, but we are going to Minnesota.
1: Exactly. And so are you, Jim McGreevy.
2: We'll see you there, bud.
1: While we're up in that neck of the woods, hopefully we run into Paul Verdu, who is running 10th and Blake, which is Molson Coors' craft division. He also departed that job this past week. He's going to a small craft outfit in Wisconsin. We don't know which one, but you know, there's some breweries for sale up there that we've heard about. So who knows?
2: So many mysteries this week.
1: I know it's the, it's the week of mysteries. So where does Paul Verdue go? We'll find out, but he better be going to CBC too. So he can drink some Michelin golden lights with us as well. Now that he's not employed by <laughs> Molting Molson <course. Yeah. laughs> Right.
3: I think this means we'll just have an extra exciting CBC because everyone, it's going to be like a send-off for some
1: people.
2: We'll have a good time.
1: It's not a send-off for any of us, except for Jess, who's going on vacation.
2: But I will be back for CBC. That's right. Look at me, jet-setting Cancun, Minneapolis. So when I was researching to figure out where we should go on this trip, my husband's a teacher, so we got to go during school vacation week, which makes things difficult and expensive. But... It was going through resort reviews on TripAdvisor and for the resort that I've selected. There was like no fewer than three people in the Q&A section going like, do they have domestic beers? And then somebody else would answer like, yeah, they have Modelo and Corona, but nothing domestic. Like, those are their domestics. Oh, made me so angry.
1: (laughs) I mean, we live in a bubble, Jess. You know this. (laughs) I do know. We, We live in a bubble. We have our own language. Mm -hmm. But we are going to speak my love language next, which is professional wrestling and beer. And we're going to do it with Stone Cold Steve Austin. So let's get to our featured interview with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Rob Croxel, and Tom Kelly. Malt Europe Malting
0: Company is North American proud with premium grains from field to flavor. Our selections include base, specialty, and distiller's malt varieties. Become a customer today at MaltEuropeMaltingCo.com.
3: The Craft Brewers Conference is almost here. The BrewBound editorial team will be reporting on beer news, emerging trends, and new products. Submit your news to make sure it's on our radar. Head to brewbound.com slash submit slash news.
1: Among the highlights of this year's WrestleMania was the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin to the ring after a 19-year absence. Austin emerged triumphant and ended the evening with his signature celebration, smashing together Broken Skull American loggers in what amounted to one of the biggest earned media moments ever for a craft brewery. For seven years, Austin has partnered with El Segundo on the Broken Skull line, and he's here today to discuss the brand and its future. So welcome to the BrewBound podcast, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Thanks for being here, Steve.
4: We're well, glad to be here, man.
1: We're psyched to have you. And we also have El Segundo owner Rob Croxall. Thanks for being here, Rob.
5: Thanks for having us. This is great.
1: And finally, we have El Segundo's Chief Vision Officer, Tom Kelly. Thanks for being here, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having us, Justin. So, Steve, for starters, how are you feeling physically after WrestleMania?
4: Oh, I'm 100%. I picked up a little bit of a cold the other day, uh, but I'm back home in Nevada. Shoot, Sunday, I was 100%. And, of course, I went back into action on Sunday. and did a little uh, extra physicality as part of the show, but... You know, it was just an exciting time for me to go back to, you know, a business that I really, really love. And, you know, I never thought I'd be back in the ring, but, you know, there we were headlining main event for the, uh, headlining WrestleMania for, uh, you know, night one. And it was just truly an honor to be out there and really excited to be able to, uh, just like the last few times I've been able to drink, you know, our beer, Broken Skull IPA out in the ring, you know, a couple of years ago, we got a lot of exposure from that and, uh, just a real proud moment because when El Segundo and, and myself decided to come out with a lager, which was what everybody was wanting, which is really satisfying. Because I've drank everybody's beer in the past, and I've been I've been drinking beer my whole life, and I don't speak technical beer language, but we've given all those other brands a little bit of a rub uh, by using their beer. So to go out there and drink our own beer was very satisfying.
1: You mentioned the other beers that you drank over the years, and I have a friend named Adam who has one of those Coors Light cans sitting on a shelf in his living room still to this day. I was sitting there with him in Iowa when he caught that can, so it's still one of his prized possessions. That sort of leads me to a question I had for you is one of the things that surprised me from that WWE run in the 1990s was that you never really had a major beer sponsorship despite drinking everything there was under the sun and tossing them in the crowd. So was that ever brought up as an option? And if not, why wasn't that an option for you?
4: Well, it was an option. We actually pitched a beer company, and I won't name their name, but we've all heard of them, and they're very popular. And I just think it was due to the fact that I was very aggressive, maybe a little controversial, My mother used to tell me, Stephen, if you were on TV when you were a kid, I wouldn't let you watch you. So I just think, you know, what I was doing was very cutting edge. It was very edgy. And that was the tip of the spear as far as as the attitude era is concerned. So, you know, I just just don't think that was (laughs) someone's uh, idea of what a role model for their beer would look like at that time.
3: I think the estimate from BT Sport was that you opened 35 Broken Skull American loggers just over this most recent WrestleMania. So, I mean, how many over the whole course have you, do you think you've gone through?
4: Man, it was a bunch. And, and the thing about it was, you know, I've been gone for so long, 19 years, and you, you cannot replicate that type of setting, you know, in your home gym. I work out all the time here. And I was going, you know, doing all kinds of cardio circuits and stuff like that. But I kept calling for those beers, not to gratuitously advertise them, but because I genuinely had cotton mouth. So anytime I needed a breath of air or just needed to wet my whistle, I'd call for my beer guy to throw me a beer. And, of course, I'd toss it and continue on with the the spectacle that we were presenting. Luckily, everyone uh, that watched that pay-per-view or everyone there in attendance knew we weren't going to have a scientific back-and-forth match. It was going to be a brawling spectacle, and that's exactly what it was.
2: You told Justin that you got 10 cases of beer for night one of WrestleMania, and clearly Pat McAfee enjoyed it. So what was the feedback you got from everybody else about the beer?
4: Man, I've heard nothing but good reviews about the beer. I've, I've got some really close friends over here in Nevada. And, of course, you know, all of us here at El Segundo, we've been working real hand-in-hand on this, and we value feedback. It's it's extremely important. But we're not worried about having our feelings hurt. We want to have someone's honest opinion about the beer. So when I brought it over to my buddies, I was thinking, man, we might change this, but this is kind of where we're at right now. And I, I sent Rob a text. I said, man, all my buddies over here in Nevada love this beer. I don't think we need to do anything to it. So we value feedback. We're not afraid of feedback. We want it. And I think that, man, we turned out a hell of a beer.
1: Tell me a little more about that, because, I mean, obviously, you crushed a lot of macro lagers during your run throughout the years, and now you have a lager of your own. Tell us a little bit about why that was the right direction. I mean, it seems like an obvious one, but you guys actually started with an IPA.
4: I want to start with an IPA just because when I started, you know, beer has been around for You guys know longer than I have. I mean, craft beers have been a thing for quite some time. And finally, I just got sick and tired of the, you know, the big beer lineups. So I started delving into craft beers and started going into the pale hells and finally ended up just being an IPA head. That's my go-to beer. And when I took that IPA down to South Texas many years ago, uh, my sister was a regular light beer drinker. And she said, is that your beer? cause she'd never seen it before. And I said, yes, it is. She goes, can I try it? I said, of course you can. And she took a sip of it and I could see the look on her face of horror. <laughs> she was a light beer drinker. You know, it took it took me a year and a half to turn into a hop head. So anyway, I said, don't worry, you're not hurting my feelings. You're just not ready for this beer. And we converted a lot of just regular beer drinkers to IPA just based on the brand and you know myself and the fact that it is a really, really good beer. But the regular beer drinkers out there just kept saying, hey, please come up with a lager for the rest of us. We're not that much into IPAs. As, as popular as the IPA is, a lot of people weren't into it because it's an IPA. So I kind of floated the idea about Rob a while back. And when Rob called me and said, hey, man, we got to come out with a lager. I said, hell yeah. So it, it was just something that was waiting to happen. And when Rob called me and said, "Hey, let's let's do a lager," I said, "Hell yeah!" So it was just meeting the people's demands and making a, a lager for really. I mean, when when y'all know what the number one selling beers are, you know, and in the top ten, I don't think there is an IPA. Uh, if we're just talking about beer beers in general, so we came up with this beer and, and we all loved it. Rob, Rob, you chip in on that story because as phenomenal as
5: Rob is at brewing beer. This was a little bit out of out of the wheelhouse. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we we heard, you know, from the very beginning, even when we were introducing the IPA, it's like, yeah, that's nice, but when are you guys gonna do a lager? But of course, I mean, we're all Segundo, what we do is West Coast beer. So the IPA was the natural first beer. But I mean, we've heard since the beginning from customers, from distributors, you know, all the time, when are you guys gonna do a lager? When are you guys gonna do a lager? And Really, I mean, it was just, it was just about time. I mean, the IPA is still is one of our workhorses. It still does great, but you know, with all the activity that Steve has has going on this year, here with WrestleMania and then three sixteen, all these things kind of just lined up, and we we decided to make make it go the, the, the logger. So the logger, you know, it wasn't quite the slam dunk that the IPA was. It took a little bit more. A little bit more work in house, and I know Steve's uh, got the story about when we did the, uh, the IPA, and we really did nail it on the first try. But this this was not that we went. I think Tom can correct me, but I think we have four iterations of this beer before we got to the final version. And where we are, I mean, I'm I'm really happy with it because, you know, those you who know, don't know us, segundo, no, we are our, our main focus is quality. We don't want to put out a craft beer. We don't want to put out something that's not, not an interesting beer. So whatever we do is going to have this quality component and still be an interesting beer for the craft beer drinker. But in this case, we want to make it accessible to the regular beer drinker too. So it took a little while to get there, but where we ended up was this, you know, from the outside, a fairly simple American lager, a little bit of corn, give you that kind of familiar taste. We ended up using Contessa hops, which, you know, we really wanted to use the American variety, of course, because Steve's beer makes perfect sense, but still give you the slightly noble kind of quality to, to give you this familiarness for this American lager. And that's kind of how we ended, we ended up where we're at.
2: For our listeners who maybe haven't been able to try either of the beers, I'm really curious about the IPA. What can you tell us about a flavor profile, Rob? I'm sure it's, it's a West Coast style, but what are some of the, the notes there?
5: You know, when we developed that beer, we sat down with with Steve one afternoon. And I mean, we must we probably had 15, 20 different beers. And we were going through all these IPAs. And it's like, you know, what do you like? What do you not like? What are you tasting? And we really kind of nailed down his his palate, what what he likes. And where we ended up at the end of the day was he liked like an old school West Coast Sea Hop. IPA, for like this mid-palate, because you like the flavor in the middle, didn't like a lot of bitterness in the end, but then liked the big aromatics, you know, of some of the more current West Coast IPAs. So what we did on the first one was heavy sea hops in the boil. So you get a lot of that, you know, I mean, you guys know what we're talking about, those flavors, mid-palate, relatively low on the IBUs, but then a primarily citra with a little bit of Cascade Dry Hop, because, I mean, we're in California, we've got UBUs and Cascade no matter what. But to give it, you know, kind of those big aromatics. So it's kind of got this more old-school IPA, mid-palate, but there's still big pop in the aromatics with a lot of bitterness. And that's that was what we were going for, and that's where that beer is.
0: And I'd add just that it ended up being a great intro IPA for people. We had a lot of people, like Steve said, come over from from lager beers or, or or low you know less flavored beers to try this beer and it's it's 6.7 percent so it's not too strong not a long lingering bitterness and so it's it's actually a really great ipa for people who haven't had a lot of ipa to come and explore the style we were successful in converting a lot of people over to ipa i think over the last five or so years
3: how about your sister steve is she converted at all or how' does she feel about the ipa or the or the
4: lager, she's still not converted, but she loves <laughs> she loves the lager uh, a whole lot. But she's still not an IPA person. And you know that was a, a really interesting task for me because I was going to make some great beers, but some of those double and triple IPAs, and I'm not so much a fan. But as as y'all know, you know everybody has their own taste bud, and it's all subjective. So I, I love uh, the way the beer came in at six seven. And that's a stout beer. and That's stout enough. You start going higher than that. You know, I still like to be able to crush a couple of them, and I do. But a quick story, when uh, we brewed that beer, that when, we, when Rob came up with the formula, and a couple of weeks later, we went down to try this beer. And as I drove down to the brewery, I only left six miles from, from uh, the brewery at the time. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this could take six, seven, eight, nine, ten times to get this right. And I'll never forget, we were all sitting there. and We poured a glass of beer, and I took that first swig, and it was like come to Jesus time. And, man, that beer went down, and I looked right at Rob, and I said, man, i I watch my language. I said, that's a good effing beer. And I said, hang on for a second. I took another swig, and I said, that's a good effing beer. So we, we had some beers that day, and I went home and, and slept on it. I called Rob the next day, and I said, hey, Rob, I think we need to go with the formula of that beer. I said, I I, I don't think we can make it any better. And Rob said, Steve, I'm glad you said that because if you weren't going to use it, I was. (laughs) So it was just a thrill to be able to hit it out of the park on the first try. And coming up with the the American Lager, it was a process for me to dial back just to say, okay, now now we're just looking for a great, in, in my terms, because I've been drinking beer my whole life. And, and, and Rob knows that I don't speak technical beer language, but he's able to transcribe and understand exactly what I'm saying. The interesting thing about coming out with the American Lager was just dialing back from the hops and try to go into a regular beer. And I, I felt in that category of beer, uh, from light beer to regular beers to just, just that genre of beers, there, there was a lot of room for improvement. And I'm really, really happy with the way the American Lager turned out. But it was a dialing down process for me.
1: Steve, we don't want to be the ones to tell you you can't cuss on our podcast. You can definitely cuss because if you won't, (laughs) Jess will.
4: I told Rob that first time I drank that beer. I said, "Hey, man, that's a good fucking beer." <laughs> <laughs> I said, Hang on. I said, I took, took one more swing. And I said, "That's a good fucking beer." I said, "God damn!" So we so we started drinking. We've got a pretty good buzz that day, and that turned out to be the formula for broken skull IPA.
2: What a fucking great story, man!
4: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what y'all's parameters were. <laughs>
3: This was featured really heavily during WrestleMania. So what was the aftermath for El Segunda after this happened and all the buzz that it got?
0: We're still in the midst of it, honestly. The nice thing about American Lager is we can brew a lot of it and you know it's got a long shelf code, no problem. The problem with IPA is it goes back quickly as we all know. Very short shelf code. We try and ship IPA out of our facilities, you know, within a week or two, ideally. Um, And so planning ahead uh, and forecasting can be challenging. We're currently running out of IPA everywhere, which not not the worst problem to have, but uh, we're, we're pivoting from there. I mean, we're just getting, you know, emails constantly every day from fans, from retailers, from distributors, from importers. This is the, I guess, kind of third time we've gone around this, but this is the first time we're really prepared uh, when Steve got on in July of 2019 for Raw Reunion and brought a bunch of uh, cans that we had hand canned at another brewery uh, and didn't even have Broken Skull IPA in cans. And then he got on national TV and told everybody about it. That was one pivot that was really interesting. We then launched Broken Skull IPA nationally or you know, in, in most of our network we have now in March of 2020. And so that was another interesting pivot. And here we are, actually prepared with beer in cans, and not during a pandemic. Getting to launch this beer, so we're super excited. We're we're working closely with our distributors to fulfill demand. Uh, seemingly, it's it's out of control. Our you know website is getting lots of hits. Uh, people are direct shipping here in California. You can direct ship through a couple of retailers, including Craft Shack, uh, and so th- their numbers are all up. But from what we've seen in the past, you know, this will be a couple of months of interaction, and we'll have more press and stuff coming out. So, I'll, I'll let you know in a couple of months. But for the current answer, it's a tidal wave of demand. I think is kind of the best way to describe it. It's just so much all at once, uh, especially for a brand our size. You know, I mean, we're gonna probably do fifteen thousand barrels, twenty thousand barrels this year. We're not that big, and so for. Steve, to get a placement like we did at, at WrestleMania, it, it really is just, uh, we're, we're a little tiny boat on a very big wave. <laughs> How much does Broken Skull make up of your, your output? So we have a facility here in El Segundo where we'll do probably eight or 9,000 barrels total. Uh, we also contract brew with uh, Figaro Mountain Brewing Company here in uh, Southern California. That's a new uh, relationship for us. But those guys are masters of lager, and we're really, really excited to be working with them on that beer. We additionally contract brew at New Realm in Virginia, which is uh, Mitch Steele's place, and he's been making Broken Skull IPA for us and for the East Coast since 2019. And you know, just couldn't even have a better partner to be brewing IPA. They're also brewing the American Lager, but you know, obviously, Mitch Mitch has some great lineage as far as it goes to IPA. Outside of Southern California, Broken Skull IPA makes up the vast majority of our sales, uh, if not all of our sales at this point. Here in Southern California, where we're distributed by Stone, American Lager is going to change this slightly, but but Broken Skull has been a leader. But uh, Mayberry IPA actually outsells Broken Skull uh, in Southern California. It goes back and forth, I guess. Depends. And we've kind of coupled, we've brought American Lager to the plate a lot because of uh, the need for Broken Skull IPA to need a partner out there in markets where El Segundo isn't quite as well known. We do very well here closer to California, but the East Coast is a little bit more difficult for us to translate that brand. So it's really just Broken Skull IPA and Broken Skull American Lager everywhere east of Texas, basically.
1: Steve, you did a lot of the heavy lifting as far as marketing goes during WrestleMania weekend. Do you anticipate sort of staying as actively involved going forward, whether that's, you know, helping with wholesalers or sales calls or anything like that?
4: Yeah, I'll do whatever I got to do, because for many, many years, I've been wanting to get into the beer business, but not at the... (laughs) not at ground zero and try to build up an empire. That's just, that's not how my brain works. And so, you know, seven, eight years ago when, when Rob and I had our first meeting, you know, we we struck up a bond and a friendship first, and then we proceeded accordingly. And I'm so proud of this. And, you know, El Segundo, it is a business. I used to be in the beer drinking business. And now, you know, I'm in the beer sales business and I've learned so much from these guys about selling beer, about packaging, about everything. So, Whatever I got to do, I'm going to do. And I do it willingly because I'm proud of my association with these guys, first and foremost, as friends and business partners. I'm super proud of the beer that we came up with. And, you know, we we still have a long ways to go. And as far as spreading the word and getting more people to, uh, you know, try these amazing beers. So I'm hands on. Don't worry about me if I'm on the football. I'm going to keep
5: going. I think one of the things, like what, what you hear, you know, Steve talking about, you know, in my opinion, it's one of the reasons why the beer has had the longevity that it has. I mean, seven years on IPA, especially something that's like a celebrity endorsed beer. I mean, there's a few things to that staying power of that beer. I think first of all, the beer stands on its own quality wise. I mean, I think that beer we would be making and doing well with, with or without a brand, because the beer is that good. But Steve's involvement and continued involvement in the brand. And the fact that he actually gives a shit, really, it is so much more than some of these, you know, celebrity endorsed things where it's somebody just slapping a name on it and doing it. I mean, it was built to his taste. Um, he takes ownership. It. And I, I always tell the story, like, it's not out of the question if if him and his wife are out and they see how to coach sh- beer on shelves, I'll get a text from his wife. And then we'll go back to our sales guys to fix it. But, I mean, that shows the kind of care that he takes. in it, and then. You know, when you're talking about going forward, he says, whatever you need. I mean, that's not a joke. I mean, for me or my sales guys to be able, marketing guys to be able just to shoot him something over and say, hey, can you get this out? I mean, that happens all the time. So, you know, his passion for it and the relationship that we have is what, what makes this thing work so well.
0: I'd love to tell a quick story about Steve. Just to point out that authenticity as well, I think Steve's love of, of these beers, like true love of these beers is, is also one of the things that gives it staying power. And, you know, Steve comes around often enough to the brewery and to our, our pizza place, the Slice and Pint. And, uh, you know, to stay in the shape Steve is in, uh, he has to forego drinking IPA uh, from time to time. And uh, he came, he came to visit one day uh, at the Slice and Pint. And, uh, he was on one of his uh, dry periods and they were picking up some pizza to go. And he said, Tom, pour me, pour me a half pint of, uh, of IPA. And I poured him a pint, half pint, and I gave it to him. And, and I watched him take a sip of this beer. And by sip, he probably drank about three quarters of a half pint in, <laughs> in one draft. And the smile that came on his face may only have been bigger when he was in the middle of the ring in WrestleMania last week. <laughs> <laughs> Smashing American lagers. Like, it, you can just tell how much the man l- loves that beer. Highlighted also by being dry for a, a period of time, I suppose. But <laughs> <laughs> but when he says it's the best MIP in America, he 100% believes that. I do believe that.
3: If you work in the beer industry and you're serious about growing your team, make sure to check out the BrewBound Job Board. To get the most bang for your buck, purchase a package and receive a discount. Head to brewbound.com jobs to learn more.
2: So, Steve, you've been a prodigious beer drinker, but now that you're on the business side, like, this industry is real weird. Like, I've been in beer for 12 years, and I feel like every day I learn something new that surprises me. What surprised you the most about being on this side of beer?
4: When we first started off with the Rubber's IPA, you know, those that was back in the day when, you know, 22-ounce bombers were kind of the end thing. And so there we were, you know, the 22-ounce bombers, and then everybody was going into, you know, more cans. And, you know, just from learning, going from Bombers, listening to Rob talk about costs, because Rob's a former accountant before he got into the craft beer business. So I mean, he's kind of like a rocket scientist. And talking about, you know, for packaging with four 16-ounce cans. You know, then talking about, you know, trying to get into a six-pack format. So just just, just learning, you know, what, what everything costs, how to go about it, production lines, can lines. Drinking beer is one thing. Selling beer is a whole other thing.
1: Rob and Tom you guys mentioned too that you know getting into the the lager market is a pretty challenging one because you know that you've got the major brands such as Miller Lite, Coors Light, Bud Light. Those are brands that are as a small brewery it's difficult to compete against. So what are the challenges beyond that of getting into that market?
5: It really does come back to the cost side. It, you have to compete so much more on cost, on price, on the logger side, because it's just the expectations of the public, you know, is a much lower price point for that. And there's just a reality that we need to deal with that. I mean, we're not that big a brewery. We, we probably could not make more than 9,000 barrels a year at El Segundo. For us to think that we're going to compete in a six-pack format on those prices just simply isn't real life. You know, we make up a little bit of ground by doing the 416s. And then, you know, the reality of it is it's Steve's brand too. So we have that help with the pull through, but we're conscious that we're never going to be able to compete, you know, with the big domestics on a price thing. But we're pretty confident quality wise, the product that we're putting out. And then with Steve's push on it too, that's the approach that we have to take. But we're never going to compete on just cost. I don't know, Tom, if you want to add more on the cost side. For me, you know,
0: like Steve said, uh, Rob's uh, comes from a financial background. So we, we have a very good idea of what our, our costs are and, and where our margins are and and, and where you know the risk reward is. From the market side, I think it's to be determined what the market will say about the price point. People are really excited about it. A lot of demand right now, it's out there. The long-term viability of it at a higher price point, I think is what we'll have to see. I hope that people can say, look, this is a higher quality product and i'm willing to spend the money to get that i mean that's really how we've attacked the market in general you know we don't want to be a giant brewery you know we're happy we're happy for the growth and and we're happy to 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 put out a, a very high quality product but you know that comes with its costs and so there's always going to be a place for the the cheaper 12 packs and you know like hopefully that those drinkers are like some you know occasionally they they're happy to spend a little bit more money and drink a better lager
5: there's also, you know, reality too, just the way the market works. I mean, we have gotten a couple comments on price. If we're like 1199 or 1299 somewhere, you know, the, the reality is too, we're, we're not even double digit margin and that's real life. And if distro and retail's all taken over 30%, I mean, we can only give so much. I mean, I know that's the game we signed up for, but there's a, you, you can't squeeze a, what's the thing? Can't squeeze any more, uh, blood out of that rock or turn up whatever that says, and we don't have more to give.
1: Steve, I, I see you shaking your head during during this conversation, and I think the one thing that I've sort of taken away is like you like that this is sort of a, a very personal project. It's something that you're proud of. You know, you don't necessarily seem concerned about, you know, blasting this out everywhere.
4: I'd like to be able to sell as much as we can of this, but you know, like like Rob was saying, as far as being in competition with the bigs, I respect the bigs. I, I respect their history, their lineage, you know, their tradition. How, how long, you know, they've been around, and you know their beers. I mean, because millions of people, you know, love love their beers. But you know, realistically, as far as competition, you know, are we ever going to sell as much as Bud Light? Hell no. Uh, you know, I was walking the floor of Billy Bob's the other day. We we did a, a beer release over there for Texas. Which is where I'm from, and I was walking with uh, the guy that runs Billie Bob's, and I, and just out of curiosity because I knew he was going to say Bud Light, I said, "Hey man, what's your number one selling beer here?" And he said, Ultra. I said, "Really?" I said, "I'll be damned." So I, I respect all those people, but what 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 we wanted to do, or what I wanted to do, was give people an option if if they want to get some a uh, craft beer, an American Lager, try. You know, there we are, and yeah, it's great to sell as, as much as we can. But this is this is a passion project for me. You know, this is what Robin and I do for 11. I, you know, I I do other things for 11. I, I want to be profitable, but this is the passion project that I'm in love with, and I, I'll be swinging for another twenty years if that's what we've got in us. I love this beer. Yeah. I I really respect and love the and and cherish the friendships that I have with the the guys and gals at El Segundo El- Brewing Company. And that's just the way I see it, man. It's a passion project, and I want everybody to do as well as possible. But I want to be a viable option for someone who wants to try. I'll, I'll put this beer head-to-head with anything on the market right now.
5: When I first got to know Steve, when we started talking about this project, we're very open book with everything. And I, was, I was just, hey, here, here's the reality. Um, you know, we're, we're this, we're, we're kind of big for LA, I guess, but we're a small, we're a small brewery we're only going to be able to make so much beer, really. And I said, if you really want to leverage your brand, cash in on your brand, whatever, you really got to be talking to a regional or or somebody a lot bigger. And his response was, nope, I just want to be part of a project that I'm proud of and make a really good beer. And so from that point, I mean, it it wasn't a money thing for him at all. And to this day, I mean, you know, there's never been a case of coming back and saying, hey, we need more production. We need, you know, more of this. That's not what it's about. It's just about putting out the good beer. I think he has a good feel for it. We are doing pretty much everything we can to get that, you know, to get volume out there as we can. But, you know, we're still the same brewery that we were when we started.
1: Steve, I wanted to circle back to something that I had to bring Jess and Zoe up to speed on this morning, which was the time you drove a DeCrescenti Coors Light truck to the ring and then hosed down The Rock and the McMahon, Shane and Vince. Just curious, you know, how was that pitched to you? and, And what do you remember about that experience?
4: Well, you know, living on the road back in those days, was a pretty wild time. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you get creative the day of. So I just remember, you know, arriving at the building and then somebody saying, hey, man, we're we're going to, you're going to drive a beer truck into the arena and you're going to, you know, hose down the rock. And, you know, out of that beer truck, you know, I, I bumped the ring with it. But, you know, the first 30 gallons that came out was actual beer and then it turned into water. So... When you show up and you hear all the crazy shit that they've had me do, whether it was Zambonis, beer trucks, you know, driving cement trucks, filling in a, you know, a Corvette with cement, just, you know, totally a damn good Corvette. You know, we were able to do so much fun things that, you know, it's just those moments that people will never forget. And that beer truck was, was one of them. And as I stood on top of that beer truck, delivering the go-home promo for Rock, uh, you know, for WrestleMania 15, uh, you know, it was a hell of a night at the office and just, you know, people just shit their pants because you just don't, you don't see that every day. And that's the kind of stuff that we were doing on, you know, shit, it seemed like damn near every Monday night we were doing something off the wall. And that's why the ratings were so high. And that's why, well, I got to give a lot of credit to the roster. I mean, We had a loaded roster with a lot of great creative and we were just on a, on a tear.
2: What year was the beer truck hosing incident?
4: Shoot, that had to be ninety seven ish, 98. But have you have you never seen that?
1: I shared the YouTube video today okay, yeah. with her.
4: He did. He did. It was quite a uh, spectacle. And I, I've always told anybody, I, and I don't know why I have this talent, but you know, from driving monster trucks, you know, I learned how to drive a, a monster truck fifteen minutes before we went on live TV. You know, that Zamboni guy showed me how to run it. Uh, that cement truck, it had those fold-down levers. They didn't have a mark for me to hit. When it's gonna, when you're on live TV and the red light's on, I'm your guy. And so just being able to come through at crunch time and always deliver the goods has always been something that I prided myself on when it comes to live live TV and working with the WWE.
2: Which is a super helpful skill in pitching beer, so.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I would have loved to hear that pitch, too, to DeCrescenti. You're going to do what now? You're going to drive what? And you're going to spray? Like, that That had to have been an amazing conversation for whoever had to have it with WWE and them.
4: But, you know, what's awesome is, like, when you, when you see the react, because you don't know what's going to happen. That's not something you practice. You do it on the spot, live. And then you don't know how it's gonna shake out. And so I'm spraying Vince down and him being the ultimate promoter starts swimming on the mat, try to get away. I'm spraying the rock down. And then at one time I was gonna give myself a drink of beer and that thing's on full throttle. So if you watch that back, when I tip that thing up to try to take a drink from it, I mean, it's pouring out, I don't know, you know the force of a fire hose. And almost just, <laughs> I almost took myself out of the game just by blowing my head off with that frigging flow of a uh, beer and water. So it, it was amazing, and I, I really, you know, had had so much fun during my WWE career.
2: So Steve, we've got an IPA, we've got a lager. Is there another style you'd like to see next on the Broken Skull line?
4: Man, it, it's so soon right now. I love that IPA. I love that American lager. Robin, I'll make a. They make a what a, I guess it was a barley wines, Rob. Standard, crude, and old Jetty. Those are amazing beers that come out with a dark, something dark, way, way, way down the road, five, six, seven, eight years. <laughs> I mean, you could ask yeah. Rob that question, but for me right now, the focus it remains on the IPA and the American Lager. I don't want to get greedy. I think two is enough to focus on and maintain the push and 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 try to. Keep making the American Lager and the Broken Skull name and El Segundo uh, Brewing Company a household name across the United States of America.
5: Yeah, I think uh, giving our salespeople time to get their uh, their heads above water <laughs> before we even start thinking about it. I mean, I know we have other beers Steve likes, but dude, let's uh, deal with what's in front of us first. Yeah, you know, like you, know, we we never uh, like it's it's funny when you talk
4: about the bigs. You see how much. Revenue that they have to spend on on uh, advertising, you know, <laughs> our, our our advertising budget is pretty fucking
5: slim. So <laughs> it's word of mouth. It's Instagrams. It's, Instagram, it's social media. Until you show up with a giant can on WrestleMania, then I... <laughs> yeah, But I I, I I fucking I I love the way I love our operation.
4: It's the real deal. It, it's authentic. Rob stopped accounting because of his love for beer, and he's a businessman, and this is a business, but uh, I'm just happy to be a part of it, and uh, it's just fun, so let's just stick with these two for a while and get our shit straight and sell some beer.
1: Well, final question for you, Steve. We know that WrestleMania is right in El Segundo's backyard next year. So are we going to see you in the ring again, crushing broken skulls after a match uh, next year? Or is this, uh, have you scratched that itch?
4: Well, you know, (laughs) for for, for me me to uh, participate in WrestleMania 38, uh, if you'd have told me, hey, man, you're going to be part of WrestleMania 38. Not only that, you're going to main event night one. I would have said, you're full of shit and you're crazy. And there I was in Dallas, Texas, you know, headlining main event on, on day one. So uh, never say never, but I, I, would, I would really Im- imagine that within the scope of that show, that's going to be a big show in a, a big time city. And it'll be a two night event again. So I, I'm not, you know, I'm sure I'm done wrestling per se, but as a part of the, you know, as part of WWE, I, I can't imagine that I would not be there in some capacity. And I'm not gonna, I'm not saying I'm not booking myself on the show because I didn't book myself on 38. That's a Vince thing. And, uh, I, I have a great relationship with him. And if I get the call, I'll be there.
1: Awesome. Well, Steve, Rob, Tom, we can't thank you guys enough for taking the time out to talk us through all this.
5: Thank you so much for having us. This is great,
4: man. Thanks for having us put the word out there. You know, we, we, you know, I <laughs> advertising and budget is pretty slim and uh, we're all proud of the beer and it is a business, you know, but I'm, I'm proud to be associated with these guys and we're just trying to do the best we can. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a passion project for all of us, but it, but it nonetheless, it, it is business. and so We're doing the best we can and we're, we're proud of the products that, that we put out.
1: Absolutely. Our pleasure. So thanks again, guys. With that, we'll uh, say that's our show for this week. Thanks to our one man audio team, Joe. Thanks to Jess and Zoe, and thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week.